Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. Welcome back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 148, how to help students focus on learning instead of grades. Often, our students measure learning not by skills gained or new ways of looking at content, but by the grades earned. We've talked about what grades mean in college and that grades should not define students' identities, but we know they do. So as teachers, what can we do to have our students focus on learning and growing rather than just on their GPA. In an article from edutopia.org, linked to in the show notes, Crystal Fromert offers some good suggestions for teachers to shift the focus away from grades and onto learning. Use encouraging statements, offer retakes, allow self-grading, delay the grade, and lower the stakes. In this episode, Adam and I go into each one of these suggestions. So. Fromert's first suggestion is use encouraging statements. Now, this may sound really trite, but it's actually really helpful for students because putting your attention on what they did well helps them feel like not everything is being judged by whether they're good enough. And Fromert observes that threatening students with this will be graded does not help them learn and in fact dissuades them from learning. So thinking about how we talk about learning as opposed to talking about grades, can help with students shifting their own views of what they're doing away from the grade and toward the material. So try saying things like, you did really well on your source analyses, and I'm looking forward to seeing how you'll apply that knowledge when you get to your first draft of the research paper. Now, this doesn't mean you can't also give them corrective statements. For example, remember to put your sources in MLA format, but don't focus only on corrective statements. Students need to know what they did right as much as they need to be told how to improve. One thing about this, too, a lot of people have learned the sandwich method of giving criticism. You know, you tell them something good, and then you tell them something bad, and then you tell them something else good. And it turns out that actually doesn't work very well. Because people who are primed to hear a good, bad, good kind of sandwich method of giving criticism, they ignore the two good parts and focus only on the bad, because they know the bad is coming once they hear the compliment. So be careful about how you compliment too, okay? Make sure that you draw their focus to what they did and maybe don't give them corrective statements at the same time. Maybe save corrective statements for some other time. Offer retakes. Some educators bristle at the idea of allowing students to retake anything with the objection they won't get a second chance in the real world. But let's be honest, one and done doesn't usually happen in the real world. Second chances are the norm. People revise articles and resubmit them. People rework legal briefs, proposed law, and company policies. Most exams in the real world, driver's tests, licensing exams, are exams you can take again. So not allowing students to retake exams or resubmit revised assignments doesn't actually line up with how things are done in the real world. Allowing retakes also reduces the pressure on students. If they know they have an opportunity to try again, or revise based on your feedback, they're going to be less tense going into the due date or the test date. And instead of us giving feedback that can't be acted upon, 
they'll be more likely to read and use our feedback so they can improve their scores. We know the idea of regrading all those retakes can be daunting, so here's some ways to make that less difficult. So for multiple choice or true-false exams, hold them online and let your learning management system grade them automatically. If you're worried about cheating, design the exam so they draw from a random bank of questions. So no two students will get the same exam questions, but they're still responsible for everything the exam covers. For written work like essays or research papers, use a rubric and make it a single column rubric. Students either met the requirement or they didn't. This makes it pretty easy to check off what they did and didn't do. And you can also save boilerplate feedback and copy paste it into the rubric because most student errors are very similar. They're going to make similar mistakes. Finally, in episode 147, we suggested using peer grading. So give the students the rubric and give them some of their classmates' papers and have them grade each other as an in-class activity. All of these are ways to reduce the grading load while still allowing students to retake or revise their work. Allow self-grading. Students are usually harder on themselves than we would be most of the time. Allow them to use your rubrics to suggest the grade they feel they earned when they turn in an assignment. You'll probably find you'd give them a higher grade, usually. Self-grading goes right along with the process suggested for delaying the grade, so let's move right on to that. And for delaying the grade, the basic idea behind this is to offer feedback and a chance for students to reflect on mistakes and correct mistakes, potentially add that as part of the grade, and then meet with students individually to discuss their questions and observations, as well as disclosing the grade they earned. Christy Loudon of the Cult of Pedagogy blog outlines this method for delaying the grade, which requires students to read your feedback and actually address the issues in their assignments. We've included a link to her blog in the show notes. So the first thing is you grade the assignments, but don't put a grade on them. Just put comments and feedback. So if it's a class that's using a lot of equations, like a math class, mark the problems wrong, but don't give the right answers. If it's a writing assignment, use a rubric and point out where the problems are. Plan some in-class time for students to do some kind of independent or group activity, so you have the chance to meet individually with students about their assignments while the class works on the activity. Then, third, return the graded work without the grades and with a blank rubric for students to evaluate themselves with. So Loudon gives her students these instructions when returning work in this way. First, she tells them, read through the entire assignment, both what you did and her comments on it. Second, write down three observations of your work based on your reading of it. Third, write down two questions to ask her at your conference. Fourth, use the rubric to grade yourself. And then finally, be ready to discuss all of this when they do conference. After you've done that, then the next step is to give the students time in class to reflect on your feedback, read your comments, look at their work, and then evaluate themselves. Then conference with each student. Let the student set the pace of the conference. According to Loudon, what usually happens is the student will first beat themselves up for mistakes they feel they should have avoided or express embarrassment about turning in such a sloppy piece of work. Then they'll start to ask questions about how to fix what they found in their work. Finally, she asks them to show them the grade they've given themselves and then lets them see her rubric to compare. Almost always, students grade themselves more harshly than she has. Finally, and this is a big one, and it goes back to allowing retakes, allow students to revise and resubmit their work. 
So if it's a written assignment, have them attach the original work to their revision, showing where they made corrections and improvements. If it's an equation or problem-based kind of assignment, have them attach their original work to their reworked assignment, showing the corrected equations and explaining where they know they went wrong on the original assessment. Because the goal here is to make sure that not just that the student fixes the problems, but that they can also explain why they had these problems, that they recognize that they had these problems, that they understand now where they went wrong and how to fix it next time. That's the whole goal of delaying the grade, is to allow the student that cognitive time to process basically where they didn't understand what they were doing and to show you that they do understand it now. Lower the stakes. Dropping a low quiz or test score or two if your class is test heavy is one way to lower the stakes. Depending on the number of assignments and the grade level, you can also use homework as an attempt or didn't attempt grade rather than grading on accuracy. Offer students chances at taking no stakes or low stakes quizzes to get familiar with the questions they will face on their tests so that at least the question format, if not the same content, are familiar to them during the test. Also, instead of going off a strict point or percentage total, try using standards-based grading where students have to meet a certain threshold, but that threshold isn't the traditional 90% for an A, 80% for a B. Instead, set a range of scores such as meets expectations, another as exceeds expectations, another as needs improvement. Then anything which gets a meets or exceeds expectations is a pass. Anything that doesn't needs to be revised and resubmitted. Now, you don't need to, and we recommend you don't, share the numerical scores which correlate with the ranges. We want to get our students away from that. This is a qualitative assessment for qualitative work. And this actually also correlates with real-world employment evaluations as well. Usually when you go in for your yearly review, they say, okay, here you're meeting expectations. You're meeting expectations. You need improvement here. You're exceeding expectations there. Okay, this is exactly what they're going to get in the working world. For items that are scored numerically that aren't qualitative, for example, so let's say you have a 100 question multiple choice test. Set a certain percentage as the pass threshold. So 70% or better is a pass, for example. And then don't let students retake if they've hit the pass mark. One semester I had a student who they got like a 79% and they were freaking out. They're like, that's only a C. I have to get better grades than that on tests. And well, you passed. You're above 70%. No, 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 I need to retake this. No, you don't. And I'm not going to let you. But that's not fair. I need to get a better school. It's not going to change your grade. You got to pass, move on. Too many of our students are still trained in their brains that only 100% is good enough. And so this also helps them kind of break that down and realize, okay, I got a 75, I passed the exam, I can move on with my life. A lot of students have come back to me and said that helped them so much to let go or at least reduce their grip on perfectionism because they were really, really freaked out at the idea that 75% or 79% or 82% was a good enough score because they'd been trained so hard all their lives that only perfect was good enough. The other thing is when you're doing a standards-based system, set it up so that your students can choose the number and type of assignments to complete. And as long as those competence thresholds are met, then the grades count. So students who are strong at test taking, they can take all your quizzes. Students who feel stronger at writing, they can write short essays or short reflection papers. As long as both kinds of assignments cover the same material, those grades will be valid because they're still measuring the same knowledge. Now, you may want to make one or two kinds of assignments mandatory. For example, everyone has to be in class for the in-class activities, or in an online class, everyone has to do a certain number of discussion boards. But allow as much flexibility as you can. 
because this will lower the stakes and it'll make it more likely that your students can succeed, which is, after all, what we're going for, right? And for our experiences using these tips, I've learned to lower stakes on my quizzes and tests by offering my students retakes. My students can take any test twice and scores are either averaged automatically by our learning management system, or I'll take the higher of the two scores. And that way, one bad quiz or one bad test day does not torpedo a student's grade. Now I'm working on improving and being better on not saying why students lose points on written work, but I know I need to work on that. So I'm working on using a lot of and statements. You need to correct this, and here's where I see this paper going. Here's the improvement that I think you can reach. One change, that was a really big change for me. And I know that I used to start saying, you did this, but, and I think that that word, but, did students a really big disservice because I think that put the onus on what they did wrong. And I'm not convinced that it helped lower the stakes. So the way we phrase things can be a big thing. So not just the content, but also how we phrase our criticisms, how we phrase our critiques of their work when we want them to improve the way we phrase things goes a very long way. So what I'll say is I see you did something and if you improve on this, it really brings your paper together. If you write a stronger thesis, it really connects everything you've put in your body paragraphs here. If you write a stronger or a tidier conclusion, it's really gonna hammer home the point of why we need to focus on this. And that if you do this, then it will do that also gives them something to act upon. So the and is not but, okay, Here's something you did did really well, but this sucks. Or here's something you did really well, and if you do this, where you're suggesting a course of action, that will improve it in this way. And now it no longer feels like you suck, right? Now, I offer retakes on just about everything except the final exams because they're the final exams. And I make those final exams optional. Giving students more autonomy about what they're doing in my class has also helped them play to their strengths. And I use standards-based grading I have for years so the students get used to the idea of good enough being good enough. And it takes some students a while to make this shift. So it's a good idea to remind them frequently that good enough really is good enough and provide them proof with, look, you passed that quiz, but I only got a 71. Yeah, but you passed, you hit 70%. That's all you needed to do. That really takes the pressure off them. So that's what we have for you in episode 148. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Android. We have decided to no longer publish this podcast to Spotify. So if you found us on Spotify, please take a look at Apple Podcasts or other podcast apps. We're hosted on Blueberry.com, and we'd really appreciate it if you could write a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to join us next time for episode 149, when we'll talk about strategic half-assing and how it can help you when things seem overwhelming. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. And we look forward to seeing you next week.